We are delighted to have Michael Wenham back with us. He was here, he's been with us before. <clears throat> Ask him if he found the place easier this time. I said it was a little bit easier. First time he came in, he didn't see the, the sign for the church building. And he just saw the funeral home sign, so he drove around Cedar Hill for a little bit. But he found it. He got here fine this evening, and we're grateful to have him with us. Michael is an attorney who holds a degree from the University of North Texas in Texas Tech University School of Law. After several years of practicing law, also serving as a judge, and serving on occasion as a guest speaker, preacher, he decided to prepare for full-time ministry. He is a graduate of the Brown Trail School of Preaching, and he is currently in the Master's Degree Program at the Bear Valley Bible Institute. He lives in Bedford, and he's a member of the Christian Care Center Church of Christ in Mesquite. And again, we're delighted to have him with us to bring us this lesson that he has prepared for us of having strong fellowship. I encourage you to give your attention to him. And again, at the end, if you have questions or would like to talk some more about him, we'd be more than happy to, to do that as well. But at this time, we're looking forward to his lesson on what does the Bible say about strong fellowship. will say this about my tour of Cedar Hill last year. It's a lovely community. <laughs> I appreciate the song that fits very well with our lesson this evening. Uh, the <clears throat> church where I grew up, where I was a member for some 25 years, the most common use of the, the term fellowship that we had was we had a few brothers who uh, did the announcements at the beginning of services. And one brother, almost always, it was his way of getting everybody to get quiet so he could start. And he would pretty much always say, I hate to interrupt such good fellowship. So for a long time, that was kind of my impression of the word, that fellowship meant it's just the visiting we do in the few minutes before church, before worship. It's part of it. It's a small part of it. There's a lot more to fellowship. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to define the term, and then we'll look at some biblical passages that use it. You may have heard the comedian's definition of the term for politics. Poly, a prefix meaning many, ticks meaning blood-sucking creatures. <clears throat> I've, I've tried to come up with kind of a homespun definition for fellowship. It's not the official one, but... Fellow, those who are with you, ship, in the boat. Those who are with you, in the boat, on the journey, pulling in the same direction. And that's pretty close to the official definition of the Greek term. The uh, Strong's defines fellowship. I have all my Greek on a separate page. Strong defines fellowship as partnership. That's the literal term. Contributory help, participation, sharing in, communion. 
spiritual fellowship, fellowship in the spirit. The Greek word that's translated fellowship is only translated fellowship about half the time into English. Other times in English, it's translated into such words as contribution. When Paul's talking about the contribution for the poor saints in First and Second Corinthians, that's the term that's used. Fellowship with those poor saints, helping them in their time of need. It's also translated into English into such terms as participate, participation, take part, partnership, share. The root, what we might say in English would be fellow, the root also appears several times in Scripture and is typically translated sharer, partner, companion. It's all the same term. So let's look at how the Bible uses this term and what the foundations of fellowship are. Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. This is toward the end of the first century. John is, according to history and tradition, John is the last apostle standing, the only one not executed for the faith. And as the first century comes to a close, <clears throat> those who were eyewitnesses have been dying off or been killed. So John, the aged apostle, the last one left, wants to address that with the book, and that's how he begins it. First John chapter 1, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it. John was saying, these people who are saying Jesus is gone, I'm an eyewitness. I was there. I touched him. I knew him. He's real. The Word made manifest. The Word brought to human life on earth. Verse 2, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. John was telling them what he knew, telling them what he saw, telling them the word. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship. What's the basis for fellowship? The word. We're proclaiming this word so that you may have fellowship with us. But the fellowship isn't based just in us. It's based in God, as he goes on to say. So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. To have fellowship with God, to have fellowship with one another, to have complete joy requires a foundation in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's based on the word. It's also based on something else. Verse 5. 
This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We can't have fellowship with God if we're pulling in another direction. We can't be in the same boat headed somewhere else. So we don't have, if we're going to have fellowship with God, we can't have fellowship with darkness. If we're going to have that fellowship, if we're going to have that partnership, if we're going to be partnered with him, we have to be where he is. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. One of the other, another basis for fellowship is in our walk. How we live. Are we living in accordance with God? Are we following Him? Are we moving in the direction He wants us to move in? Are we walking in the light as He is in the light? So fellowship is based in the Word and the walk. It's from God. It's to be according to his terms, according to his nature, according to his will, following him. Let's notice how John applies this principle of fellowship. Take a look at 2 John. 2 John is directed to the elect lady, some people have differences of opinion about that, whether this is a congregation or whether this is an individual lady. But whichever it is, notice 2 John chapter 4, excuse me, 2 John verse 4. John says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking. There's one of the bases for, for fellowship. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. There's fellowship. The regard that we have for one another, the love that we show, that we demonstrate to one another. And this is love, verse 6, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. We're to demonstrate love as part of our fellowship. We're to walk in the commandments, to walk in what God has given as part of our fellowship. And that brings John joy to see that that lesson has been heard and followed. But it's not followed by everybody. It's not followed by everybody who professes to be Christian. Verse 7. He's, he's building her up, warning her, reminding her of what's good, what's right, to prepare her for what's wrong. Verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Remember, that's why John wrote the book of 1 John, that beginning that we saw. There were people who were saying Jesus wasn't here. 
There were people who were saying Jesus didn't come in the flesh, and John was writing to give his eyewitness testimony to warn them about that. And here he warns her, you know, they're coming. You're going to encounter these people. They are deceivers and the Antichrist. Now, that's not a capital A term that's found in the book of Revelation for some monster at the end of time. You never find this word in the book of Revelation. It's found four times, three times in 1 John, one time here, and this is always the context in which it's used. Literally, that just means somebody who's against Christ. Those who were teaching against him, against his word. So we've got our fellowship based in the word and the walk. And he's warning her, you've got people who are going to come to try to persuade you away from the word. They're not pulling in the same direction. They're going to claim to be of the word, but they're not. Verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. These people are a threat to salvation. They're a threat to one standing with God. And he's warning her about that. Verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And of course they were bringing a different teaching these antichrists, these false teachers. Verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, we're to be a hospitable people. But John says here, you've got somebody who's a false teacher, you've got someone who's bringing a different gospel, you've got someone who's teaching against Jesus, you don't let them into your home. You don't give them greeting. You don't, to borrow a military term, you don't give aid and comfort to the enemy. You don't encourage what they're doing, and you don't do something that would cause you to be seen as a partner in fellowship with what they're doing. Because they're pulling in a different direction. They're pulling in the wrong direction. Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For, verse 11, whoever greets him takes part. That's the verb form of this same Greek word for fellowship. Whoever greets him is in fellowship with his wicked works. So, in our fellowship, in our care about how we treat the word, we don't advance the cause of those who are working against God. We don't advance the cause of those who are using the word to work in a different direction. Let's take a look at Third John. What about those who are pulling in the same direction? Third John. Well, let's start with verse 1. The elder, John referring to himself, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you were walking in the truth. Remember at the beginning of 1 John, we saw that 
This fellowship brings complete joy, this fellowship in the Word. And here he's rejoicing that Gaius is faithful to the truth, he's faithful to the walk. Rejoicing that he's walking in the truth. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. He's helping brothers he doesn't really know. Who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. John's letting Gaius know these are teachers in the word. It's all right to support them. They're faithful. Verse 8, therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Taking part in the work of the word, taking part in ministry. That doesn't mean everybody's a minister as we think of it. But here he's supporting that and he's partnered in that and he's advancing the fellowship. He's making effort to help the work of the Word. How about fellowship with the walk? Notice Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll begin toward the end of the chapter in verse 31. Ephesians 4, verse 31. If we're walking as we should be, if we're walking in the light, remember there's no room for darkness. That's not part of God. So we put the darkness away. We work on that. We may not work perfectly. We may stumble, but we keep walking in the light. Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. We put the dark away. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We embrace the light. We walk in the light. And because we're putting away the dark and putting on the light, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. The source of our fellowship is God, the source of the word is God, the source of our walk is God, and so we're following, we're imitating him. Chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Just like we don't give aid and comfort to the enemy in the word, we don't give people a reason to think that we're walking in darkness. We don't even want it named among us. Verse 4, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't let anyone think, make you think that's okay to do these things. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. That's not the direction the boat is supposed to be going in. And so we don't partner with that. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We're working at being conscious of what God wants, what pleases our Lord, so that we may be pleasing to him. Verse 11. Take no part. Again, we're not partnered with this. We're not to participate in this. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We're not to tie ourselves to darkness. We're not to be in fellowship with darkness. We're not to be in partnership with darkness. Paul makes that point in 2 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This may be a familiar passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord does Christ have with Belial, term for demons or Satan? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Don't be partners with people who are pulling in the wrong direction. Don't be unequally yoked to people who are pulling in the wrong direction. What fellowship has light with darkness? Now, that does not mean that we never have contact with anybody outside the church. It doesn't mean we go into a commune and wall ourselves off from the world. You may remember that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners to win souls. Matthew 9, 10 through 13. But we're not to be unequally yoked, not unequally tied, not giving someone enough power over us to pull us in the wrong direction. Again, that doesn't mean we go out of the world. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 9. 1 Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. But he clarifies how broadly that goes. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Paul says here, if we take from this the idea that we never can have contact with anyone who's not 100% pure, We're never going to have contact with anyone. We're going to cut ourselves off. 
Paul says, that's not what I'm saying. Again, remember Jesus had contact. Sit down and have meals. And that's often how we think of fellowship. Sit down and have a fellowship meal, for example. But these people weren't partners in the word and the walk. They weren't unequally yoked together. Verse 11. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. We're to care about who's in the fellowship. We're to care about are the people we're in fellowship with pulling in the same direction. Now, this is not... uh, an immediate process. Okay, someone has slipped, cut him off. That's not what this is. There's a process for dealing with someone who's caught up in sin, and it's, it, it takes time. It's not immediate. Just by way of reference, uh, Matthew 18, Titus 3, deals with the steps that one takes with someone, and we, we go to them once, we go to them twice, we try and work things through, And if they're still resistant, then there comes a time of cutting off. But we are commanded, notice uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We're not looking for a way to immediately say, okay, I'm having nothing to do with you. There is patience. There is gentleness involved. But, so we stay away from darkness. We stay away from those who are pulling in a different direction than our Christian walk. How do we deal with them? Notice Galatians chapter 6. Verses 1 and 2. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If someone in our fellowship is caught up in something, we're to help them in a spirit of gentleness, watching ourselves, not lording it over someone, not hypocritical. We're to help them get out of it. In that sense, we bear one another's burdens. We are partners in this walk. And so we help one another. Also notice who that's directed to brothers. It's the church in general. Helping our brothers and sisters who are caught up in some some sin, some problem. That is the work of elders. It's not just the work of elders. It's the work of ministers. It's not just the work of ministers. We're all partners. 
We're all in the fellowship together. If our fellowship is limited to the five minutes before service when the extent of our contact is, hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Oh, I'm great. How are we going to do this? If we don't know each other, how do we do this? If, we, if we're not concerned with one another's lives, how do we do this? And that places both blessing and obligation on us. It's blessing in that we have other people looking out for us. And when someone tries to help us and fulfill this law of Christ, fulfill this obligation of fellowship, receive that gently and gladly, kindly. And it gives us the obligation of being this for other people. So we watch out for one another. We help one another. We help keep each other in the boat, moving in the right direction. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. This is going to be another familiar passage, and we use it typically for a point that uh, is broader here than what we typically use it for, but... Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 25, that's the familiar part, not neglecting to meet together as the manner of some is, as is the habit of some. But back up to verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider, to borrow a legal term, premeditate. Let us deliberate, let us plan, let us determine how to stir up one another to love and good works. I'm not just, I am to figure out my own love. I am to figure out my own good works. But that's not where it stops. We're to think of ways where we can encourage each other in our walk. Stir up one another to love and good works. Again, how are we going to do that if we hardly ever have any contact with anyone? And so, verse 25, we come together. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, Is this the work of elders? Yes. Is this the work of ministers? Yes. But not just them. It's the work of all of us. Helping each other grow in the walk. Figuring out ways to encourage, figuring out ways to help one another grow stronger in this fellowship. What does strong fellowship look like? We'll notice a couple of passages. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we have Paul talking about their help to him, their partnership with him 
and his prayer for them. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership, because of your fellowship, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They're partnered with him in the word. Verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of this grace. Sharing together. Fellowship together. They're partakers with him of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Remember, in the first century, the gospel was under attack in a way that it's not, it's under attack now, but not like this. The government was putting people in jail, the government was killing people. Paul's imprisoned, and they didn't go away. Paul's imprisoned, and they didn't hide. They didn't run. They supported him. They encouraged him. They helped provide for him when he was kept under house arrest in Rome. Partakers, partners with him, both in his imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Verse 8. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. What they're, how they're demonstrating their love. This is part of the walk. That it continue to grow. With knowledge and all discernment. There's the word. That the foundation of their fellowship continue to grow. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. Prove what is of virtue. We're not to give aid and comfort to the enemy. We are to give aid and comfort to what's right. Aid and comfort to the truth, to the walk. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This fellowship is essential. It's part of their grace. It's part of glorifying God, praising God. Their relationship with God. We're not to live our Christianity in isolation. It's been my observation, I'm not going to say everybody fits this category, but I think a good many do. We have been conditioned by our society, by our culture, to keep our Christianity to ourselves. 
it easily and obviously happens in the workplace and in the public square. Uh, there have been some amazing uh, statements by some in Congress in the last year or two about uh, wanting to deny people of faith public positions in the federal government, that their faith would somehow interfere with doing their job. There have been public interest lawsuits about, uh, for example, a member of the Air Force in Colorado who wanted to keep a Bible at his desk and was forbidden to do that. And it had to go to court and had to go to several levels of federal court for that to be taken care of. There are a lot of obstacles. There are a lot of challenges to even minor displays of Christianity. And one of our reactions to that, and it's an understandable one, it's a regrettable one, but it's an understandable one, one of our reactions to that is to keep silent. You know, some, there, there's been a survey recently of millennials about freedom of religion. And I had been under the impression that millennials did not believe in freedom of religion. According to the poll, a significant majority of them do. They just define it differently. As the poll went on to question, their view of freedom of religion is that we have the freedom to come together like this. The freedom to meet behind closed doors so long as we don't disturb anybody out there by demonstrating anything out there. How often do we live our Christianity in isolation and quiet? And that's not the fellowship. How often among ourselves do we live our Christianity in fairly quiet terms? How often do we speak about the blessings of God? How often do we speak about the glory of God? How often do we feel comfortable praising God among ourselves. And I'm not talking about the worship service. Sharing with one another the, the blessings that we have. Sharing with one another the beauty of Bible passages. Sharing with one another the beauty of good works of the fellowship. How often do we talk about God in the privacy of our own homes? We, again, that's not everybody, but it's, it's a discernible pattern. We do a pretty good job of keeping quiet, even among ourselves. Acts chapter 2. What does strong fellowship look like? Acts chapter 2, of course, we have the first gospel sermon, Peter at Pentecost. And thousands respond to that gospel sermon and are baptized and added to the church. Notice the portion of the chapter that comes after that point. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. 
And they devoted themselves, this, this new church, this new, these new members, these new partners in the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They're in the boat, going in the same direction. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, this was an unusual situation. Remember, thousands upon thousands of people had assembled in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And this new message comes out, this gospel of Jesus Christ that these people had never heard before. They're convicted and they decide to follow. They decide to become members of the fellowship. They decide to become members of the church. And it's all new. So we've got a lot of foreigners from out of town who've traveled great distances from other countries all around the known world. And they're staying longer than they intended to because they're wanting to hear this gospel message. They're wanting to learn, and they're excited to learn. Apparently, they weren't ready for such an extended stay. And the fellowship takes care of that. Verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Somebody in the fellowship is hurting? The fellowship takes care of that. When there is need. Verse 46. And day by day, some translations daily, this is not weekly or monthly or quarterly or every once in a while or when we feel like it, Day by day, attending the temple together. They're together in worship. And breaking bread in their homes. They're with each other outside of worship. Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. This new fellowship, this coming together in common cause for study of the Word, for praising God, for supporting one another, financially encouraging one another, they're coming together and people are seeing this. It's not, quote, normal. It's unusual. People are taking notice and people are seeing what's happening and people are deciding it's good. And so they have favor with all the people. How many people would look at us and think that there's something different about us? Something different in how we regard one another. The people are seeing it. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number 
day by day, those who were being saved. People saw it, and the church grew. People witnessed the fellowship, the change, the partnership, the community. The benefits of the fellowship are not just here, not just on earth. Notice 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. Peter speaking, Peter writing, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering, sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker. There's our idea again. Someone who's sharing in, fellowshipping in. The glory that is going to be revealed. There's fellowship and coming glory. Peter elaborates on this some at the beginning of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, King James, like precious faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a standing that we can have. It's like the standing of an apostle, Peter said. It's, it's the same precious faith, the same precious fellowship, the same precious glory. Verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The word and the walk. The knowledge that we have and how we're to live. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence or virtue. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become, and here's our word again. Through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Not only do we share in the word with one another, not only do we share in the walk with one another, but remember, the basis of our fellowship with each other is fellowship with God. And that fellowship doesn't end with this life. It continues into eternity. To partake in, to share in the divine nature of God that he would open his eternal home to his children so that they may dwell with him for eternity. When we partner with one another in sharing the word, when we partner with one another in our daily walks with God, then we have strong fellowship, both with God and with one another. We have strong churches, Growing churches, spiritually, numerically, let God give the increase. We have complete joy, as John pointed out in 1 John. And we have the promise of fellowship with God in eternity. Sharing in, partaking in 
his divine nature. Strong fellowship is an obligation for what we are to do, for who we are to be to one another in service to our God. Strong fellowship is a blessing for what we receive from each other and God's sharing of himself with us. It may be that you're not part of that fellowship this evening. You can become a Christian, believing in him, confessing that faith, repenting, turning away from your sins, turning toward him in the walk, and putting him on in the waters of baptism. You can become a Christian this very evening. It may be that you've wandered away from the fellowship, that you haven't been the partner that God calls you to be. Repenting, prayer to God, you can make that right this evening. Whatever your spiritual need, we stand ready and want to help you, want to help you in that fellowship. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?